This is John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? Jesus answered, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That, we, that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, even who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me, or believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Praise the Lord for that promise. All right. Well, before I dive into uh, this morning's message, whoa, that looks crazy. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Let me see if I can fix the. There, that looks a little better. Um, before I dive in, I just want to let you know, we've, the church has a rental property over on 115 Dobson Place, and a while back, you may have heard about this, a tree fell on the house, like through the house, like a knife through butter. And uh, so it's, it's gotten a complete renovation, and they're almost done with it. And so this Sunday, uh, we're going to do kind of an open house sort of thing for members of Cypress Street. If you'd like to go by 115 Dobson Place after church today, um, either if you've already had your circles, you can go by uh, right after church. Uh, but if you have circles afterwards, you can go by after your circle. But you're welcome to stop by for a minute and, and see. It's really turned out to be a, a blessing. You wouldn't think that a tree falling on a house could be a blessing, but uh, the house was in need of renovation and it has gotten a renovation because it kind of had to have one. So, uh, anyway, wanted to let you know about that and we'll remind you at the end of the service. We're in this series called Before I Go, and we're looking at this series of chapters in the, the Gospel of John uh, that records what Jesus said just before he went to the cross, before he was betrayed and, and died and, and resurrected and all that. So there's a few chapters in there where he's turned his attention fully to the cross, and there's some final instructions, if you will, that he needs to get across to his disciples in those times, because soon they're not going to have his physical presence with them anymore and so they're grappling with this and the disciples are having a hard time wrapping their brains around what in the world Jesus is talking about but Jesus is feeling like before I go you should know some things and so we've been looking at some of those things and today we're looking at what we're calling you have access 
I have a pastor friend in uh, rural Louisiana, a town called Clayton. Um, his name's Jerry, and Jerry inherited a family business that uh, was an auto mechanic business there in uh, in that part of the of the state, and um, he inherited it from his dad and grew that business, and it was doing really well. At the same time, he planted a church, and the church started doing really well. And, and so recently, Jerry came to the realization that he couldn't keep juggling both full-time. <laughs> so uh, it's you know, only so far that one person can stretch. So he began to hand over the management, the day-to-day operational management of his business to managers, right, that he would hire that could be in the office day-to-day more so that he could turn his attention more to uh, the church work. So, you know, can you imagine the, the feeling of letting go of your family business, the, just the control of the day-to-day operations? Like, he's still there in town, and it still would be scary, right? Like, this is your baby, this is your, that you inherited from your dad, right? Like, you don't want to mess this thing up. Um, you've invested so much time into it and you're passing it off to people that you're not quite sure you know, if they're as invested in it as you are or if they really even have the abilities that you have. And you know, magnify that by like a thousand and here you have the Son of God getting ready to pass the baton to his disciples who weren't ready <laughs> for what was coming. And, and they, he was about to not be in the office anymore. <laughs> And they were going to have to carry on daily operations without him. And that gives you a hint of what was going on here with Jesus and his disciples. A little while back, I was uh, a, a part of, I went to a mercy conference. Uh, we talk about mercy multiplied around here a good bit. It's, a, it's grown into a pretty good-sized organization. It started right here in West Monroe. And they have the original Mercy Girls home still here in town, and but now their headquarters is in Nashville, and they have homes all over the place and all over the world, and they help tons of young women, and it's a you know a big operation. Well, at this conference, I got to meet one of the you know vice presidents or executives of outreach and development or whatever you know the title was, and and then I also through another connection know another one of the kind of higher ups in there, and so I just got to know them a little bit and, and found out about their heart. And at the same time, I was uh, participating in this roundtable thing with uh, Church of God Ministries where I was rubbing shoulders with the head of Church of God Ministries and his staff. And, uh, and so like all of a sudden, I found myself having access to people that were kind of high up in these organizations. And I thought, wow, this is pretty neat. So then I tried to play organizational matchmaker because I thought, this group and this group have the same heart and this group's trying to help groups like this group so what if we just put them together and so I tried to pull strings because I had access so I I contacted the uh, Mercy executives they say oh yes that would be very good I contacted the Church of God people and finally got a hold of one of them and and then they said yeah I like that idea we'll need to bring it to the uh, whatever, the other people on the leadership team. And so I was like, oh, this is going good. I've got access to all these big wig people. I'm going to put them together and it's going to be great. You know, little old me. Uh, And so it was kind of a neat feeling until it all kind of fell apart. And someone with 
with more access and more clout had to step in and get the job done. So thankfully we're at the, uh, at the Church of God big convention that they're going to have this summer in Orlando uh, that Julie and I will be going to. Uh, there's gonna, they said there's already 1,700 people registered and if any of you want to go, I can get you the information to go. It's going to be um, a big event. And there's hundreds of people coming from overseas. Um, you know, our Church of God brothers and sisters from there. So it's going to be a, um, a big celebration. But anyway, at that event, Mercy is going to have a presence and be able to make a presentation and that kind of thing. Um, but not so much, I mean, in very small part, thanks to me, but mostly thanks to the people that really had access and clout uh, more than I did. But, you know, you probably have access to somebody that you're kind of proud of. You know, maybe it's a uh, a businessman that you went to high school with and now he's really done well and you know that if, if you needed to you could call him up and you know maybe ask a favor or um, you know maybe he'd let you stay at one of his hotels for a discount or uh, you know you, you've got something maybe it's not that but somebody that you know you think of as eh, pretty important and I, you know I'm, I'm their friend and I, I have access that most people don't have to this individual or, or to this organization that I used to work at or whatever uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about access, and, and religion has always been about access to God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but you know, for eons, as far back as we can look in human history, uh, outside of, of Christian traditions and, and even Jewish traditions, there have been religions that have sought access to power, access to truth. Access to blessings and better life. And so they would worship these deities. And sometimes they would carve idols out of them. And then they, there would be gatekeepers called priests usually who would control access to the deity. And they would tell you what you needed to do to please the deity. Uh, they might be able to offer prayers on your behalf. Uh, you might be able to pay them something in some shape or form to grant you access or to seek the deity's favor on your behalf. Uh, you might be able to bring sacrifices or something like that to appease the deity if you've somehow angered them and they've been cursing your life and your life's been going poorly and your crops are all dying. Well, then you go to the crop god and you say, I'm sorry, <laughs> and you access the priest that, you know, that has the real access and they, um, you know, for the right price, help you out. And then maybe the crop God will bless your crop the next year, you know. It's always been about access. And, and Jesus, in this passage, where he's speaking with his disciples, talks to them about access. He must have had the sense that they were starting to get worried about all these conversations he's having with them about, before I go, you should know. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, have faith, be confident. In light of what's about to happen, you know, that sounds troubling, don't let your hearts be so troubled. And he goes on to say, you know, my father's house has many rooms and I'm going to go prepare a place for you and, and uh, in the long term you're going to be with me. All right, we're going to be together. Jesus said these famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
And no one comes to the Father except through me. Not very popular words in our culture today. There's probably some of us in this room that maybe don't feel 100% comfortable with such exclusivity. The idea that there is only one way to access God. To access the Father. And that's through Jesus. But that's not something that, it's, it's not like that's something that we made up because, you know, we thought we were extra cool. And so we just said, you know, no, you've got to be a Christian if you want. No, this is what Jesus said. And we believe in Jesus because he resurrected from the dead. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, we say, okay. And that's where our faith is. It's not any more uh, non-inclusive or non or intolerant uh, than it would be to say you must drink water to survive, right? You must drink water to survive. Well, I don't like drinking. You're going to die. <laughs> I'm not being a jerk about it. I'm just telling you the facts. And so that's how we feel about Jesus. We feel like he's the guy. And if he says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the, to the Father except through him, then he's the one through which we have access. And so we believe this, that if you want access to God and the life that he created you for, the life that your heart longs for, if you want access to that, you need to know somebody. In particular, you need to know the way, the truth, and the life. You need to know Jesus. If you want access to God, He's the guy you need to know. He's the guy with the connection. He's the guy who uh, you need to know because He knows somebody. Because He is somebody. You know, like I say, religions have always tried to do this. To control access to God. That's something that we've lost sight of. I think that the fact that we have access to God through Jesus Christ is something we often take for granted. Because for one, we're too familiar with it. And for two, we're too unfamiliar with it. And that's a weird statement. But we're too familiar with it in the sense that we grew up in this Christian faith, a lot of us, uh, even if you didn't maybe grow up in a Christian home, you grew up around the Christian faith and hearing about the Christian faith. And really, even if you didn't, our society is jam-packed with assumptions about God and life that come from the Christian faith, that were influenced by the Christian faith. But for most of human history... Regular people like you did not have access to God. You just didn't. And so when the message of Christianity hit the press, it was unprecedented. You have access to God through Jesus Christ. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you sign up to follow Jesus, then through him you have access to God because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and when you see him and you know him, then you see the Father and you know the Father. 
He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And so this is like earth shattering. So in that sense, we're too familiar with this concept that we have access to God. We just take it for granted. Well, yeah, anyone can talk to God because Jesus. On the other hand, we're too unfamiliar with it in the sense that we don't act or live like it's true. I mean, maybe you do, but I struggle to. And from what I can tell, most of us struggle to live as if we have access to God. I mean, Jesus says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. I'm telling you that whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and even greater things than these. How many of us really believe that and live like that? If we believe that we had access to God the way Jesus says that we do through him, then we would act like we would be able to do the things that Jesus did and even greater things. Has anyone ever done the things that Jesus did and even greater things? When we look at the early church, I, I think it's undeniable. What Jesus began as this tiny little movement in one small corner of the world took over the known world in a, in a matter of two or three hundred years. That's incredible. His disciples did something on a scale that he never even approached during his time on earth. I mean, they uprooted the Roman Empire from its pagan roots. It's pretty incredible. Is it possible that we, too, can do greater things? I tell you, whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. We, we read things like that, and we're not quite sure what to do with them. Uh, some pastors seize on this verse, and, and they preach prosperity gospel kind of things, you know, that uh, you just need to ask and that Lamborghini will find its way to your garage. Uh, other, other preachers try to explain it away. You know, if you, if you look at the Greek and you, uh, you know, parse the participles, you'll find that really you just have to ask something that God's already going to do and he'll do it. Uh, finding ways of explaining it away because... We're not sure that this has really been our personal experience, that anything we ask God just does it. And we understand that God's not a genie or a Santa Claus. And so, how do we square this verse away? Well, I think it helps to understand that bit about in my name. See, somewhere along the way, 
we got the idea that what Jesus meant was that if we would ask anything and then at the end of our prayer say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, then we would have proceeded appropriately with the formula for getting things done. All right, like, I mean, how many of you like me have really no clue what you're saying when you say <laughs> In my name. I mean, for a long time, I started saying, in, I, in Jesus' name, amen. Because that's what everybody said. And that's the formula. And so, uh, at some point, I was like, why do we say that? You know, and, and what exactly am I saying when I say, in Jesus' name? Well, in those days, your name carried with it your character. And so, that's why when they named people things, it was... With a purpose, you know. And, uh, for instance, God said, name him Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. That name carried with it the character and the purpose that Jesus was coming into the world with. As Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, because he wanted to say something about the nature of Peter, the character of Peter, that he was a rock. That he would be faithful. It was almost like a, a prophecy of something that in spite of his unfaithfulness and his wishy-washiness and his faltering and his denials even, ultimately what Jesus called out of him with that name came to pass. So when you ask something in someone's name, you're kind of asking something in their character. Uh, one thing that I think about when I... I think about asking something in, in Jesus' name is kind of like you're uh, conducting business in someone's name. And I was thinking about like power of attorney is something we're kind of familiar with. And so, uh, you know, I, I've given power of attorney to Julie so that if something, you know, ever happens to me or, or I turn into a vegetable, heaven forbid, then or I lose my mind and I'm just nuts. She can conduct business in my name. Right? She can get things done in my name. And I picked her, one, because she made me. <laughs> no. I picked her because no one knows better than her what I would want done in my name. I mean, we talk more than I talk with anyone else about you know, our financial situation and our plans and our, uh, you know, the things that are our priorities in life and and what's important to us and how we want our business to be conducted. I mean, we, we share money. We share life. No one knows better than her what I would want done if I were to turn into a vegetable. Temporarily, hopefully. And so I picked her. Well, Jesus looked around this earth. And he picked some disciples. And in particular... Twelve. And within those twelve, even three. And he invested deeply in them for a few years. And by the time that that was finished, no one knew better than them what Jesus would want done in his name. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They had been through the most intensive training program that you can imagine. Imagine signing up for a job where they asked you to leave everything behind 
like just leave and then spend every waking and sleeping hour with them for a few years. <laughs> that's all that's required. Wow. And Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. I think what he was really trying to say was, see, while he was on earth physically with them, he had given them power to do things in his name. And he had even sent them out and about to do ministry in his name. And now he wanted, wanted them to know that even when he wasn't physically present with them, they could still go and do ministry in his name. And they would still have power and authority and access in his name. Those disciples died. And they went to that place that Jesus promised would be waiting for them. A place to rest and wait until Jesus returns. He had prepared a room for them. And they left another generation of disciples behind who continued to do things in Jesus' name. And they left another generation of disciples behind who continued to have access through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, to power that we didn't deserve. As Romans 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Not just the grace that saves us, that's unmerited favor and mercy, but the grace that's power that we don't deserve. Power to live this Christian life. Power to act in Jesus' name. Power to have access to God in this grace in which we stand through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to grace, access to God. The same access that they had all those years ago has been passed down from generation of disciples to generation of disciples, and they've continued to do work in His name. So what do we do with that, the latest generation? What do we do with that? One thing is just to realize that you have access. Sometimes in the Christian faith, we revert back almost to our pagan roots and pretend that you have to be someone special to have access to God. That, well, the pastor, he's got special access to God. He's got a piece of paper that says he's ordained. Hmm. Well, this person over here, you know, they're especially, you know, spiritual. And so they have special access to God. Have you ever known someone that you just felt like, man, they, they've got access to God? I, my great-grandfather was a pastor for many years in the state. And when he would pray, even as a child, when he would pray, I was like, man, this guy is like one-on-one -on -one with God. Like if, if I needed something serious prayed about, I'd know who to talk to because that guy. 
You know, and we know people like that. But you know the reason, the reason why that is, why they seem to have access that you don't have, is that they have been seeking to know the character and the heart of God for a long time. And they've been using their access to God for a long time. And by the time you know them, you think, wow, they really have this connection. But it's not because they're special or that they have access that you don't. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you follow Jesus, then you are a priest. That's what the New Testament teaches, that we are all priests. That's pretty incredible. I don't have special access, but I am trying to get to know him. Sometimes I feel like I don't know him nearly well enough to know what I need to ask and to have the confidence that he'll just do it. I feel scared that I'm going to ask for the wrong thing and that if he granted it, it would blow up. Because <laughs> I'm just not smart enough to have that figured out. But I keep trying to get to know him better. And in the meantime, I trust that if I ask for something that would blow up, he won't do it. <laughs> I trust him to have, you know, have my back on that, I guess. You know? God, I'm going to trust you enough to do what you say and to ask anything in my attempts to ask in your name to the extent of my knowledge. But your knowledge is unlimited. And so I'm trusting you. To not do it if it's going to blow something up, right? Or make something worse. Are you getting to know God? Do you have any idea what it would look like to ask for something in His name? I would suggest that you do, because you know something about Jesus. But if we want to get good at this, if we want to really take advantage of the access, the unprecedented access that you have to God and to His power, then you need to get to know Him better. You need to find out what makes His heart sore, like a good kind of sore, and what makes it sore and a bad kind of sore. You need to get to know the heart of God, what matters most to Him. So that you can pray about those things and ask those things in his name and from a heart that reflects his heart. What are you doing to get to know God? Are you reading about Jesus? Because Jesus said that when you get to know him, you're getting to know the Father. So are you reading about Jesus? What he did? What he said, what he taught. What is, this, what is the first apostles that went through that intensive training program? Are you reading what they said about him? Are you getting to know the heart of God? But don't wait around to start asking until you feel like you've completed the training. Because you're not gonna. You'd never ask anything. So... Get to know God, but also start asking anything. That's what he said. Ask anything. 
I think that that means that even if it seems kind of small and insignificant, you can ask about it. And even if it seems probably too big to ever happen, you can ask about it. It doesn't really matter what it is. If you think that it falls into that heading of something that would matter to Jesus, if you feel like this would be conducting business in Jesus' name to ask for this thing, then ask about it, no matter how big it is or how small it is. Ask anything in my name. What's going to be your next big ask in Jesus' name? God once told Solomon to ask anything, and Solomon asked for wisdom. God thought that was a pretty good idea since Solomon was leading his people. And he granted Solomon unprecedented wisdom. What are you going to ask for? Uh, there's a woman named Hannah who asked for a son that she would dedicate to the Lord. Uh, so did a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. They asked for a son that they would dedicate to the Lord. And God gave Hannah Samuel, who became one of the great prophets and judges of Israel. God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a son named John who we know as John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus Christ. What are you going to ask for? Paul prayed that this, some kind of thorn in his flesh, this nuisance in his body, we don't know the details, would be removed. And he asked multiple times, but it was not part of God's plan. And through that, Paul learned that God was strong even in his weaknesses. What is it that you're going to ask for? When, uh, when the same people who crucified Jesus threatened Jesus' disciples, they asked for boldness to continue to be a witness to what they had experienced and seen and heard, to not be so scared that they would shut up about what they had to speak about. And the Holy Spirit gave them boldness. What are you going to ask for? The Apostle Paul also used to beg God that he would, through the power of his Holy Spirit, strengthen the churches in his care, in Paul's care. Strengthen them to the point that they would be able to comprehend the magnitude of God's love for them in Christ Jesus. Because he knew what would happen the more they comprehended just how much God loved them. And so he would ask that. And I ask the Lord for the same thing on your behalf on a regular basis. What are you going to ask for? Maybe you'll ask for a child to come to faith in Christ or for a friend to be saved. Maybe you'll pray for revival in our church or amongst Christians or in our land or maybe in your own heart. Maybe you'll pray for a missionary. Maybe you'll pray for an opportunity to be a missionary right where you're at. 
Maybe you'll pray something like one of those prayers that I just mentioned that people we read about in the Bible prayed. Ask anything in his name. Try it. You have unbelievable access that if you're like me, you probably haven't taken near the advantage of that you could and probably should. One more thought. That access is not just for you to enjoy. Being a priest is not and was never, well, some priests used it this way, and this is why I mention it to you. It's never about themselves and building up their wealth or prestige. It was about helping people get to God. Like in the old system, they were the gatekeepers, right? They, uh, they were the ones with the access, and they helped facilitate access for other people. Well, in this day and time, anyone can have access, but look at the world around us. So many of them don't. They don't know Jesus. And many of the ones who do know Jesus don't seem to understand that they have this access. And so, as a priest, use your access to God for someone's good this week. Use your access to God for someone's good. Humanity, we all want truth, we all want power, we all want a better life. We know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's live like it. Today we focused on prayer. Next week we're going to focus on something that maybe is even more essential, more primary to the way that we have access to God's grace and power. But for today, let's focus on prayer. What can you ask for this week? Ask anything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for access. God, help our faith that's often so weak. Teach us what it means to ask for things in your name according to what you want done in the world. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray with boldness as we conduct business in your name. Lay something or someone on our hearts this week, we pray. And God, we want to know you. And we want to know your heart. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.